0: Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, New Covenant. Morning. Wanted to share with you one of my favorite encounters in Scripture is in John chapter 5. Jesus has this encounter with a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And he simply looks at him in verse 8 and says, Get up and walk. And the guy gets up and he walks. And then I don't know if it's a few hours or a few days later, but in John chapter 5, verse 14, he looks at the guy and he goes, So I see that you're up and walking. Now go and sin no more, that something worse may not happen to you. Uh, And I love what we're doing in the book of Ephesians and how Paul writes Ephesians. Ephesians 1 through 3 are kind of Jesus saying, Not to paralyze people, but to dead people, get up and walk. And then chapters 4 through 6 are really the imperatives or the commands, now that you're up, now that you're alive, now I want you to walk worthy of the calling that you've been given. So just like that man that was paralyzed, first of all, he goes from being a paralyzed man to a man who can walk, and now he's saying, now in your walking, I want you to go out and I want you to honor and glorify me. And so that is our goal as a church. Uh, We're sitting in a room together with a whole bunch of people that were once dead, that Jesus said, get up walk. You're alive. I have given you life. Now I want you to walk in a manner that's worthy of that calling. And I don't want to miss this. We're about to launch into more of the command phase in Ephesians. Ephesians chapters 4 through 6. Don't see these as duties. There are too many people running around thinking, I don't ever want to become a Christian because you guys just have a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. There is a reason why we obey Jesus And Paul said it well in 2 Corinthians, it's the love of Christ that compels me. We love him. He's awesome. He's amazing. This is why I'm getting psyched up about getting in your hands a reading plan as we go through scripture where you could see Jesus on every single page. We're going to get that into your hands to where you would read Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and you're going to see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth Then the next day, you're going to read in John chapter 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You're going to see that link between Jesus and God Almighty, how Jesus Himself is God in flesh. It's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it and can't wait uh, to get that in your hands. So if you would, grab your Bibles. This is going to be hard for the men in the room, but you're going to have to multitask. You've got to listen to me talk and turn to Ephesians chapter 4 at the same time, ladies, It's a breeze for you. If you would, grab your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 1 through 16 this morning, and really this is where that flip or that transition comes in that I just mentioned. Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about being. This is who you are. This is who the Lord Jesus has made you to be. Chapters 4 through 6 is now go and live out your identity. Remember the title of this whole series, Identity in Action. Chapters 1 through 3 are the first word. It's our identity. It's just who we are in Christ. It's our being. Chapters 4 through 6 is all about the action. Now we're going to go and we're going to live that out. And so this is going to be a blast. For about the next four or five weeks, uh, we are going to dive into what does it look like to live, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And then believe it or not, in like, Four weeks, we start Advent. We'll be diving into the faces of Christmas. I can't wait. And then just to get you more excited, guess what we're going to do starting in January? We're tackling the book of Revelation for like 30 weeks. It's going to be a blast. So I figure right off the bat, if you want to preach through a book that's going to cause all kinds of controversy, let's just go through Revelation. So why not? Let's do this. We're going to have a blast. All right. You're alive. You're awake. You're kicking this morning. So that means if you don't mind, would you stand with me? As we read Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from which whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You can have a seat. Thanks King. So we're going to be dissecting this little by little. This is a passage that has been quite confusing to many. And again, another one of those passages where I have heard some crazy things taught on some of the stuff that we just read in these 16 verses. Again, I just want to reiterate that at New Covenant, when we study scripture, we want to use what we call a literal or plain rendering of the text, which means that we're going to read it for what it says. There's not going to be a bunch of deep hidden meaning. Remember, God's Word to us is revelation. Revelation when we study the book of Revelation you'll discover means unveiling. It's like a covers being taken off. God wants you to know his will, not be confused by it. And I've heard some really confusing things on this passage. One of the ways that we discover what God is saying in his word is we let scripture interpret scripture. So you're going to see that there are actually some other passages in scripture that will make sense of this passage that we're about to study together this morning. So are you ready? Seatbelt strapped. Okay, here we go. We're going to take a look at what is the conduct and what is the calling of a Christ follower. What does that look like? Well, Paul starts in verse 1 by saying, I therefore. Now, again, if we're doing good Bible study, when I see the word therefore, what do I do with that? Find out what it's there for. You're sharp. Love it. Well, really, Paul is pointing back to the first three chapters. Remember, this is a letter. We have really short attention spans in the United States. We are just, everything is quick, microwave quick, driving down the road quick. Everything is just fast. Let's just get on with this. However, when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, it actually wasn't even meant to be broken down in chunks. It was one letter. You read the whole thing in context. So when he gets to chapter 4 and he says I therefore, he's actually pointing back to all three chapters. Therefore, now that you know who you are in Christ, listen to what I'm about to say. He says, "I'm a prisoner for the Lord, and I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called." And so the first thing we see that Paul says is that our calling, it sets the standard for our conduct. In other words, Paul says, "I'm a prisoner." How does a prisoner live, act, and react? Well, ultimately, and again, you have to keep in mind that we're reading this in a context. In their day, when we think of a slave or a prisoner, we think of something as, as horrid and as offensive. Many people actually went and sold themselves out as slaves so that they would be taken care of by their masters. And if they were a good master, they took care of their slave well. They had a place to sleep, they had something to eat, they had shelter, they had fresh water. They were almost treated like a family member. Now not all, because Paul actually writes later, "Hey slaves, take care or slave masters, take care of your slaves and take care of them well because some of you aren't." But many of them that bought bought slaves or allowed slaves to come and sell themselves out to them treated them quite well. And Christ says, I'm a prisoner of the greatest master of all. In fact, the word that he uses for Lord in verse 1 is the word kurios, which should literally be translated master or master over a servant, master over a slave. And Paul says, I know who my master is. He takes really good care of me. And being the fact that I have sold myself out to him, I want to honor him. In fact, It was almost like a marriage. If a slave would sell himself out to a slave master, he took on the name of that family. He took on the name of that slave master. He also told the slave master, I have no rights. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. Think about just those two concepts for a moment. As a slave of Jesus, you have taken on his name and you've given up all your rights. That sounds bad. But I don't know if we're aware of this. Every person that's walking the planet right now, there's about 7 billion of them on planet Earth, is a slave to someone or something. The question is, who is your master? Does your master take good care of you? My master is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He takes really good care of me. And I know that no matter what happens to me physically, I get to be with the king of kings. I get to be in his kingdom. That's exciting stuff. Well, look with me if you would at verses 2 and 3 as we continue to break this down. He says... I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So the second thing that we see is that our conduct has to reflect the Lord Jesus. And what Paul is listing is not just a laundry list of stuff, but he's really pointing back to Jesus and who he is. He further reiterates in another prison epistle, remember Paul's prison epistles, or at least when he's under house arrest, um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, and Philemon are all what we would call prison epistles. And in Philippians, another one of his prison epistles, he writes this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If we were to reflect the Lord Jesus, I am taking on the form of a servant and I am going to go and I'm going to humble myself and become obedient to Jesus even to the point of death because that's what he was willing to do. So if we're gonna reflect Jesus to this world, we've got to reflect his attitude to the world. We've got to reflect his life to the world. And I'm gonna tell you right now, that does not come natural. It, it is not natural to wake up in the morning and go, yay, I'm gonna go show G Je- I'm gonna go show the world Jesus. That's just not what we do. In fact, some of y'all pre-coffee are anything but like Jesus. So I get it. But we're supposed to wake up and go and we're supposed to honor Him. Jesus, in speaking to His disciples in John chapter 13, y'all remember this, when Jesus really acts like a servant, He takes off His outer garment and He starts to wash the disciples' feet. And if you haven't studied history, if you haven't studied sociology, that was the lowest of the low when it came to jobs. Getting down on one's hands and knees and washing someone's feet. Because they walked around in sandals or barefoot back then. And you're walking down dusty roads, you're walking through animal feces. I mean, it all sounds gross, but people's feet were nasty. Some of you all sitting in this room don't like feet as it is, right? Are are those people in the room, like you just think feet are gross? Okay, now imagine everybody walking around barefoot and they're walking through animal dung and they're walking through dirt and they're walking through mud and Jesus gets down and he starts washing those very feet. And then he turns around and he looks at them and he says, a new commandment I give you. I want you to love one another even as i have loved you so you also must love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another why did jesus engage in foot washing when he made this statement well let me go back to another question wait a minute the commandment to love each other isn't new the jews have been given that commandment for hundreds of years so why did jesus say a new commandment i give you well the new part of it was i want you to love as i have loved Don't love the people that treat you well. Don't love the people that could pay you well. Don't love the people that could pay you back. I want you to go love the people that treat you like garbage. I want you to go and wash the feet of people that have walked through animal dung. That's how much I want you to go and I want you to love people. When people see you loving other people like that, they're going to look at you and go, that's just weird. Remember, we've mentioned this before. New Covenant, let's be a little weird. And I mean that in a good way for Jesus. Let's go out and love people the way that Jesus loves people. That's not the norm. We don't live in a society that loves people the way Jesus loves people, sacrificially, unconditionally. We find a lot of strings attached. I'll treat you well if. I'll take care of you if. And then Jesus comes along and He says, I want you to get rid of all the ifs. There's a huge difference between the way the world lives and the way somebody is filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit should live. Again, Paul lists it. Here's another one of his prison epistles, Galatians. Go with me, actually, I take that back. This is not one of his prison epistles. This is one of his first letters. He writes to the churches up in northern Galatia, and he says this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 26. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Gang, those are the very things that we see all throughout our society. Just watch a, a modern day movie. It's filled with sexual immorality. It's filled with idolatry. It's filled with sorcery. It's filled with strife and fits of rage and rivalries and dissensions and divisions. You don't have to go very far to find that. Unfortunately, sometimes we even find that in the church. But then Paul gives one of those big buts we talked about in Scripture. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is Now, stop there for just a moment. Again, in doing good Bible study, the word fruit is in the singular. And yet, he lists like eight different things. What's the deal with that? Paul, did you get your grammar wrong? Actually, no. What he's about to say is that the fruit of the Spirit is all the outworking of the love of Christ. Look at it this way love is the main subject. So, if you were to take a coat hanger, you guys ever, ever make those mobiles when you're in elementary school and you got a coat hanger and you got little strings hanging from them? Really, in the Greek, this is what we call hanging participles. Love is the main part uh, of, of that passage. And then everything that hangs off of it is the outworking of love. So, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, singular. Now, here's the outworking of it you'll have joy, you'll have peace. You'll have patience, you'll have kindness, you'll have goodness, you'll have faithfulness, you'll have gentleness, you'll have self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now I read that and go, I can't do all those things. I don't always have joy, I don't always have peace and patience and everything else that's listed. And Paul says, I know that you're not going to be able to keep track of all those and live all those out, so just love the way Christ does. Live out of Christ's love and the love that he has for you, and all the rest of those will fall into place. Let me begin to explain. When I know Jesus and I know the love of Jesus, and then I go out and I make Jesus known and the love of Jesus known, I have joy unspeakable. I have peace in the midst of chaos. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but our world is in chaos and the enemy loves to get everybody into chaos. Let's just throw everybody in as much chaos as we possibly can. Let's bring in COVID and all this other stuff and just get the whole world to freak out. And then i'll bring in a fake savior i'll just pave the way for the antichrist that's exactly what's happening in our society today and jesus steps on the scene and says church you of all people can't freak out you know why because you know the love of christ which we just read about in ephesians chapter 3 and therefore it should be producing a ton of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness And faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And against those things, there is no law. In other words, nothing can touch you if you're living and being controlled by the Spirit of Christ. Gang, this is good stuff because the world's a mess. You are sending your kids to schools that are an absolute disaster they are a cesspool of sin. I'm just gonna say it for what it is. Step foot on a public school campus and it is a cesspool of sin. Send your kids to secular universities and colleges is a cesspool of sin, is a mess. They are being fed lies, told lies, hearing lies. Then we all go home and flip on TV and guess what you hear? A lot more lies. And you hear lie after lie after lie. And you know what begins to happen after you hear it enough? You begin to believe it. And Paul writes to that in this passage that we're in in Ephesians. You need to know the truth so that you don't get thrown away like a wave of the sea. In fact, we'll get there in just a moment. Let me go to our third point. And that is this, that our conduct reflects Jesus when we are unified in Him. Listen to what Paul says. He says there's one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let me for a moment just tell you what Paul is not saying. He's not saying every person on the planet and every religion worships the same God. He makes that super clear in his writings. If you don't believe in the one God of the Bible who is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. The one that wrote the book of Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22 giving us a full revelation of himself, then made himself known in the person of Jesus, rose again from the dead after his crucifixion on the cross. If that's not the God that you're worshiping, then you're worshiping a false God. So you're not a part Of that one Lord, that one God, that one body, that one faith, that one baptism. I just want to make sure that we're really clear on that. I get that that is totally culturally faux pas. Because we're supposed to say it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. Gang, truth by definition is exclusive. And to say that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere is not logical. I've given this analogy before, I'll give it again, but if two of us climb onto a 10-story building and one of us believes that we're a bird and that I could fly away, and the other one believes, you know what, I'm a human being and my bones have density, they're not hollow, I don't have wings and I'm not aerodynamic, I'm gonna hit the ground. If we both jump off, guess what? Doesn't matter what you believe. Your belief no longer makes any difference in the world. Do you know what matters? Gravity. Gravity is a law. That means it's actually going to happen. So, again, I don't mean this to sound mean or to sound harsh, but sincerity in one's belief means nothing unless it is grounded in truth. And again, you have kids that are being sent into a world where they are being told that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it, and it's wrecking them absolutely wrecking them we have people that don't know who they are they're confused about their identity and it's awesome all you got to do is pick up god's word and he tells you exactly who you are he tells you how he made you and he tells you what he made you to be now paul says if you worship that god the god of the bible who made himself known in the person of jesus then there's only one body that's the body of christ together we are one new man jew and gentile black, white, brown, male and female. We all, we all get to be a part of one body. There is one Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about Him in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. He is the one who enables us to grasp the hope that we have, which then Paul talks about that one hope. What is our one hope? It's Jesus. Paul talks about Him and the hope of His calling. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, he says you have one Lord, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus made very clear who He was. When Jesus was walking and talking on the earth, and He started to say things around 28, 29, 30 A.D., people around Him knew exactly what He was saying. He said, I am God. Now the earmark of a cult, if you want to know if, if there, somebody is involved in a cult, they take away from the deity of Christ and they take away from the work of Christ on the cross. Those are the two biggest things. As soon as someone takes away from the deity of Christ and the work of Christ on the cross, you know that they are involved in a cult. And there are multiple cults running around right now that say, yeah, we believe in Jesus. We've even got him in our name, but he's not God. He's either a guru Or just a good teacher or a god but not god almighty as soon as you hear that start sharing the truth of the gospel you know that that person is wrapped up in something that cannot save them they're wrapped up in a jesus that cannot save them. Our Jesus is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is omnipotent, omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is eternal. He has been around forever. He doesn't have a beginning. He didn't come into existence at the time that Mary gave birth to him. He has always existed and he spoke us into existence. That's our Jesus. That's the one that we serve. Then it goes on to say that we have one faith so our faith is in that Jesus that we just talked about that can save us. Then Paul says you have one baptism. Don't miss this. Paul is not talking about water baptism. There are some that get saved and then they don't get water baptized or are they still going to heaven. Well, I would have to say based off Jesus' interaction with a thief on the cross, absolutely. Remember when the thief looked at Jesus and he said, this man doesn't deserve this. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did Jesus say? No problem, bro, just get off the cross, go get baptized, get back up here, and then we'll get you into the kingdom. No, he says, today, what? You will be with me in paradise. So what's the baptism then that he's talking about? The word "baptize" literally means to be placed into. I've used this acrostic before, but if you want to know what the Holy Spirit does when you come to know Christ, think of the acrostic cribs. He convicts you of sin, then he regenerates you, then he indwells you, then he baptizes you, then he seals you. All those things happen simultaneously. What a blessing of getting to come to know Christ, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. That baptism literally means placed into. The word baptizo in the Greek means dip, die, or immerse. Be placed into something. So that's why we do baptize in water by immersion. But Scripture also talks about baptism as in being placed into the body of Christ. The moment you trusted Jesus, you were placed into the body of Christ. You were going to heaven before you were baptized. So why do we get baptized? Well, because Jesus told us to and we love Him, so we obey the commandment. But does that save you? The answer is no. And we find that in Scripture multiple places we'll get into that later because there's a whole teaching on that but then the final thing that he says is there's one God and Father and that's who we worship together and then that really moves us to the next thing that Paul's about to tell us and it's our fourth point but that is that our unity in him is shown when we exercise the gifts that that Holy Spirit that we just spoke of we use those diverse gifts in the body of Christ grows Okay, so here's where we get some confusion. Are you ready? Let's break this passage down. Verse 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. I have heard some wacky stuff on this passage. Let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. Paul is simply giving an interpretive rendering of Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. Which says this, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Okay, this is going back to like 1000 AD. King David has this victory over a city in Jerusalem that had been taken over by the Jebusites, and he's bringing the ark back up Mount Zion. And when he gets up there, the king would show off the prisoners that he took captive. And then he would also show all the spoils that he had plundered. Paul uses this to say, hey, Jesus, in what looked like his greatest defeat when he was hoisted up on the cross on Calvary, it was actually his greatest victory. And the king was setting captives free from sin and from death. But where this gets a little bit different is instead of collecting more spoils from those that were watching, he starts giving gifts away because that's the king that we serve. And he says, I want you to have this gift, I want you to have this gift, and I want you to have this gift, all so that the king is glorified when you go out and you use those gifts. I love how Scripture teaches us what Scripture says. Well, let's move to the measures of maturity. What does it look like to be mature in Christ? Because it says that he ascended on high, he gives gifts, and then what does he give all of those gifts for? If you look with me at verse 11, it says he had some that were apostles and some that were prophets, and then there's evangelists and there's shepherds and there's teachers. For what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. If I'm doing my job as your pastor, if our elders are doing their job as elders and the deacons and the other pastors are doing their jobs and, and our children's ministry workers and our youth workers are doing their jobs, we are supposed to first and foremost be bringing God glory and part of the way that we do that is we equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Are we equipping the saints for the work of the ministry? Well, if we are, there's going to be some maturity within the body of Christ. But the church body is going to be growing. And in what ways? What does that look like? New Covenant asks really good questions. So let's answer it. Ready? Look at verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. First of all, the ultimate measure of maturity is Jesus himself. Are we becoming more like Jesus? Are you more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? Listen. If you want to know what a successful church service is, it wasn't that we had 4,000 people here. It's not even about numbers, period. It's about those that did step through the door. Are you more like Jesus today than you were yesterday because of our time in God's Word together, because of our interaction together, because of the songs that we sang together, because of the way that we served one another? Have you become more like Jesus as a result? If you don't really know what it looks like to become more like Jesus, let me encourage you start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Starting tomorrow, just pick up your Bible, start reading through Matthew, and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and these are what we call the biographies of Jesus's life. Read the biographies of Jesus's life. The second thing is that there is a measure of maturity in our unity. Are we unified? Now, don't get me wrong, we're not going to be unified about all things. We should sharpen each other. Wait till we study the book of Revelation. I can't wait. We land on all kinds of different places when it comes to like the millennium and the the rapture and the tribulation. It's going to be fun. I'm going to tell you where I stand when we get there. And we might be in different places, and I'm going to ask you, don't leave just because you don't like where I've landed. But what I really want us to do is learn how to land in a particular place based off our study of Scripture, not just based off what we've been told or a background. And so that'll be a blast. That's part of our measure of maturity. And then we'll have some unity in that. I would hope and I would pray that our unity is around the Lord Jesus Christ, who He is, Him being God in flesh, His death on the cross being our only hope of salvation, and His powerful resurrection from the dead, which guarantees that we're going to get resurrected and be in heaven with Him. That's what we, we rally around. The third measure of maturity is stability. Look at verse 14. That we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." There's a lot of crazy stuff out there. I mean like whack stuff. And one of my favorite questions to ask people is how did you come to that conclusion? I have friends, I have family members that are big time into the Buddhist movement. What does Buddhism teach? You could be an atheist and be a Buddhist. Most Buddhists are atheists. They they believe in really like a universal force. Think of Star Wars. And the force is moving in you and flowing through you and they believe in this eightfold path enlightenment and eventually you re-escape the karmic wheel and you get to enter into the universal oneness and I just I'd love to ask people how did you come to the conclusion that that is truth how did you come to the conclusion that impersonal forces created personal beings when is the last time that an impersonal electrical force ever created anything and I'd I love to just ask those questions. And then immediately as people begin to talk, you begin to see them kind of talk themselves into a corner. Well, I don't know, but I just believe it because I do, and I always have. Okay, remember, sincerity and faith means nothing if the object of your faith isn't rock solid and worth standing on. So I would say a, a measure of maturity is stability. Are you stable in your faith? Some sitting in this room are prime pickings for cults. Because we know just enough about religion, but not enough about Jesus and a relationship with him and his word to stand firm, to stand strong in our faith. And so I'm hoping and I'm praying that as a result of, again, being here on a Sunday morning or your kids being in kids ministry or youth ministry on a Wednesday night, that they are being grown so that when they step foot on their elementary school campuses, on their junior high, high school campuses, on their college campuses, they immediately recognize no What you're saying is not right. And then I pray that they even take that a step further. Let me tell you what is right. Let me tell you the truth. Listen, I'm not at all saying this out of pride. I'm saying this based out of who our God is and the word that he has revealed to us. Truth is on your side. So things like astronomy, philosophy, biology, All of those things find their answers, their truth is grounded in God's Word. I love, love, love how science is actually confirmed by Scripture, not the other way around. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know what we call that in science? The cosmological argument which really is steeped in law the law of cause and effect for every effect there is an equal or greater causer the entire universe is one big effect you know what that means that that one big effect has to have an equal or greater causer there is what we call the law of first causer which means that every effect has to come down to a first cause Which means that there is a God who is outside of time, space, matter, physics that brought every effect into existence. He is that first cause. He is the ultimate cause. Isn't that exciting? (sighs) Let's breathe. (laughs) That's exciting stuff. That's the God that we serve. Well, there is another measure of maturity. And that is that there is loving truthfulness being spoken into one another's lives. Chapter four, verse 15 of Ephesians says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of Christ. Gang, speak the truth into each other's lives. Speak it into the life of an unbeliever who does not yet know Jesus so they can come to know Jesus. Speak it into the life of a believer who may be struggling. Speak it to the life of a believer who's on cloud nine because we all need the gospel to keep being spoken into our lives constantly. You know why? Life's hard. Have you all noticed that? Life's hard. I don't care if you're the most wretched person on the earth or you are walking as close with Jesus as you could possibly walk with Jesus. Life is hard. Trials and tribulations and temptations seem to attack all of us. And I want to walk with Jesus all the days of my life. Whenever my end comes, it could be today, it could be another 40 years from now, I don't know, but whenever my, my day comes, whenever my time is up, really doesn't matter if people remember Dave to Shop. what matters is whether or not they grew closer to Jesus as a result of that short life that I lived your life is but a vapor one minute it's here the next minute gone and you're with the Lord and frankly people aren't gonna remember us for all that long but our Savior will forever we get to be with him forever and crazy thing is, we're going to recognize each other in heaven. I'm going to tell you why I think that's the case. You all remember when Jesus took the three up on the mountain for the transfiguration? Who else showed up with him? Moses and Elijah. And Peter looks and goes, hey, I should build three tabernacles, three tents. For you and for Moses and for Elijah. Okay, Moses and Elijah, I'm just doing history here. I'm not a history major, but I'm thinking they've been dead for quite some time. By the time Peter, James, and John are on the scene, and yet they, somehow they recognize him. How in the world do they recognize Moses and Elijah? Well, this is just a God thing. And I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to get to spend time with each other, recognizing each other, hearing stories. And by the way, you're not going to be looking at your Casio going, get on with it. I got somewhere to go <laughs> because there's no more time. That's going to be kind of cool. I know none of you have those kids that, like, they just talk and talk and talk, and you're like, dear child, I don't have forever. Well, hey, smart aleck kids, next time, look at your mom or dad and go, actually, yes, you do. You got forever. Time's actually on our side because of Jesus. As a result of all of this, speaking the truth into one another's lives, growing up and not being tossed to and fro, what's the ultimate outcome? It's verses 16 and 17, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. New covenant, I hope you've been built up a little bit today. I hope that as a result not just of the message this morning but the songs that we have sang gathering together being together loving on one another that the body has grown just a little bit that we are going to go out and continue to see this body grow at least a little bit each week can i pray for us jesus we come before you and we just thank you for this time that we have together uh, lord we thank you for um, the blessing and the privilege that we have 52 times a year to gather together and to worship you. Thank you for the privilege that it is 52 times a year to get a little taste of heaven, Uh, how good you are to us. Lord, we're thankful that with tomorrow being Monday, we could wake up and see a sunrise, or go to bed at night and see a sunset and recognize just how big and how awesome you are. And Lord, as we see things like a sunset, as we see things like a sunrise, even as we look into each other's eyes, may we realize uh, Lord, just how amazing you are. As we think about all that exists in this universe and how vast it is and how we have barely begun to probe, probe its depths, that, Lord, we would recognize just how big you are and that that is the God that we serve. Lord, we come before you now as we get ready to partake in communion. And would you remind us that the God that created the entire universe stepped into his creation, and, Lord, you died for it simply because you love us. The trade off wasn't great. And yet, Lord, you did it for us and for your glory. Lord Jesus, it's in your name that we pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.